Thank you. Well, good morning and Happy New Year. We're almost there, the end of 2023. Woo-hoo. I'm looking forward to what the Lord has in store for us this next year, aren't you? God's at work, and we're so pleased. Um, I'm Pastor Bruce. Welcome, everybody, to the house of the Lord today. And it looks like we're leaning a little bit to starboard this morning. That's awesome. Uh, go for the sunlight out there, I guess. But uh, others will come in and make sure that you welcome them and make sure they feel right at home. And again, welcome. We're glad that you've joined us today to worship and online. Welcome to all of you as well. Um, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we see the calendar roll by as we experience the days, that, Lord God, to you, each day is unique. Each day is filled with your grace and mercy, your will at work. And we thank you, God, that in this world, Jesus said, yes, we're going to have some trouble. But take heart. You've overcome it. And so, God, we come to you this morning as overcomers in Jesus Christ. We're thankful for our Savior, Jesus. We're thankful, Father, for the forgiveness of our sins by what you have done for us, that Christ died on the cross to justify us, to declare us righteous, to lift off our shoulders the guilt that we could carry otherwise, and to set us free to love and to be loved. Lord, the world needs Jesus. The world needs to hear the good news. And so, Lord, we thank you that in your sovereignty we trust you in all circumstances, all the things that we face this year and all the things that are yet to come. You are sovereign God, maker of heaven and earth, and we are your people. And we trust you, Lord God, with our very lives and eternity. You are awesome, and we love you very much. In Jesus' name, we worship you. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to do some last Christmas carols of the year, so I hope that you're enjoying that.
For this morning where we can worship you once again remember your birth your life your death and your resurrection and your glory lord we're just we have been blessed with so much lord thank you that we can come knowing that we have salvation in you and we give you glory for that lord god thank you lord Christian men rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Give ye heed to what we say. News, news. Jesus Christ is born today. Hawks and ass before him now, and he is in the manger now. Christ is born today. Christ is born today. Good Christian men with heart and soul and voice Now ye hear of endless bliss Joy, joy Jesus Christ was born for this He has opened heaven's door And man is blessed forevermore Christ was born for this Christ was born for this Good Christian men rejoice With heart and soul and voice Fear the great peace, Jesus Christ was born to save, calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting home. Christ was born to save, Christ was born to save, Christ was born to save, Christ was born to save. Tell it on the mountain, over the hills and 
That's wonderful to sing those. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the birth of our Savior. And Lord God, Jesus told us that we need to be born again. And here we come, Father, in worship. Born again through the faith that we have in Jesus Christ by your grace. That your Holy Spirit has moved us and trans it is transforming us and filling our hearts, Lord God. We, we pray that as we move and go about your work each day, that, Father, our hearts would be moved by your spirit and by your love, that we would show the world how it is that we follow Jesus in all circumstances, in all nations, that we can truly give you glory and praise and others can see and hear the good news of Jesus Christ and the wonderful things you've done in our lives and in the world around us and that they too can experience your love through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. We thank you, Lord, for all that you are and all that you do and all that we are in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, please be seated. The kids are now free to head down the hallway for the Sunday school. The teachers are there for you. A couple of uh, quick announcements. Uh, giving envelopes are available in the back. Uh, many of us give online. About 40% of us do. And so you don't, you don't need the envelopes in that case, obviously. But if you are one that would like to give here in the 
offering box in the back, then or bring it into the office, whatever suits you, uh, and you don't find a box, just let us know, and we'll make sure that you get one. Um, also, ordination and installation of new elders and deacons is scheduled for next Sunday during worship. And then we need to put away the Christmas decorations this week, and so Saturday at 9 o'clock, if you want to jump in and help get things organized and put them back up behind the cross in the loft there, that'd be great. We'd, I'd appreciate your help. I'll get some work done this week, but there are other things I could really use some help with. And also because tomorrow's New Year's Day, we're going to delay commission night and session one week. So that, that's pretty obvious, I'm sure. And then we have a church directory phone book that is really useful. If you're not in it yet and you'd like to be, let the office know. And also if there are changes, like your email changed or your phone number changed or your address changed, please keep it current so that we can uh, have that for everybody's use. And then also the, the Martin family are, are, are been gifted by our grandkids with a sickness. So uh, Jenny's home. Uh, she spiked a fever 101.9 a couple days ago, but that only lasted for a day. But she's still a little washed out, but getting better. So she stayed home today. And my mom called me this morning and said, no, she has it. So she stayed home today. Um, so it's, uh, it's not super, super, super catchy, but I'm not sticking around after I preach, okay? I'm tired. I'm going to... I've got it too, but I'm only, I feel the fatigue like a bad cold, but I felt good enough to preach today, and I didn't know who to call on Saturday. <laughs> so, so uh, all of you in the first few rows will now move back shortly, <laughs> and hopefully I won't spit while I preach, right? Okay, so I'm getting older, that happens. All right, if you're old enough to know what I just said, you'll know it's true. All right, well, uh, let's, let's, let's go with the Lord here. Let's, let's settle in. Um, I'm getting back to Romans because there was a gap that the Christmas celebration created, and I'm grateful for it. But we left off in Romans, the end of chapter 12. Paul talked about revenge, personal hurts and insults and wounds and things that were uh, criminal acts against us or emotional. You, you, tend to, you want to take revenge. You want to have justice. And Paul says, on a personal level, that's not how it applies. The eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth isn't an individual's mandate. In other words, if you hit me and give me a black eye, I am justified to hit you and give you a black eye. How many parents have told your kids something very similar, right? It doesn't work on an individual basis, but it does on a government authority level. And so that's where Paul's going to take us today, is where the avenging takes place it's not so much a message about the government and authorities. It's really a message for all of us to know how to live for Jesus in any government, in any place around the world. So I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, there are two things that Americans down deep say they don't like to talk about, religion and politics. Lord, I pray that religion and politics won't be in the forefront of any thought that we have during this message, but our minds will be on Jesus. Our minds will be filled with your word. Our hearts will be set upon your grace and how it is that we can live for Jesus in all circumstances, anywhere we live. We thank you, Father, for your precious message for us today. Help us to understand it and help us, Lord God, to find that peace that you bring 
to know how to live for Jesus even when things are upsetting or not. Thank you, Lord. You're in charge, and we follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Romans 13, 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, surprisingly, after speaking about individual experiences and individual activities and individual renewing of the mind, individual responsibility as believers in Jesus, suddenly, surprisingly in some sense, shifts to talking about something that sometimes we're very uncomfortable talking about. But here's what he says. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he'll commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. For he is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. See, this is where it gets fun, right? This is why, okay, you also pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And some of you may be thinking, good, he'll get the government sermon out of the way and we'll put 2023 behind us and move into a new year. Right? There's lots of jokes about the government. Don't you know that? Oh, tons. I remember one, uh, one in particular... Um, one famous cowboy says, I don't make jokes about the government, I just report the facts. You know, just a little humor in everything you see. And we do get tongue-tied. How many of us have wonderful, calm, peaceful family conversations about government? And we all laugh because if you know you want to make the tensions and the heat in the room go up, just mention that, right? This is America, it's full of tension and diversity and lots of different opinions and a lot of different thoughts and a lot of different ideologies and all of that, and I get it. This is not a message on the form of government. This is a message, even not even about government necessarily. This is a message for Christians living under the form of any government anywhere. It's a message, how do you live for Jesus? What is our trust in God going to manifest itself in, regardless of whether we're under a seemingly good or reasonable government or a very evil and detrimental and catastrophic one. This speaks to everybody everywhere. Whether you're a Christian in Nigeria that just suffered a lot of trauma here over the Christmas season, uh, 100 to 200 people were murdered or missing or dismembered, you know, lost a hand and that kind of stuff, they were attacked. Uh, th there's different things that happen. China, persecution, Russia, all kinds of stuff's going on. Varieties of things are going on. Paul's message is not written for American Christians under American government. 
or any form of government. It's written for all Christians under any authority at all. And so that's what I want to highlight right away so that we don't get lost in the bushes thinking that we get uh, a political message here. We're not. We're getting a believer's message, regardless of what government we have. So it's not focused on the government's behavior. It's focused on ours. How do we respond? He doesn't mention civil disobedience at all because that's not the primary problem in the church right now and in Rome. The, the Jewish and the Gentile Christians aren't getting along. The government's very authoritarian, Caesar and all of that. Nero was awful. All kinds of things were going on. Christians were persecuted in a variety of ways and murdered. This is the time where Paul is focusing on the unity of the church in Christ. And so I'll talk in a moment why he writes this. But civil disobedience is in Scripture. You'll find all kinds of examples of it. For instance, the midwives under the orders of Pharaoh did not murder all the Hebrew babies, right? They let Moses live. Uh, the Rahab, remember Rahab in Jericho? She didn't report the Hebrew spies, even though her government told her she should. She knew that God was in charge and God was doing something. Daniel ended up in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ended up in the fiery furnace. Peter and the disciples told the Jewish leadership, the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, that they needed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and they could do no other. We just have to understand that when we do exercise civil disobedience, which is in the scriptures, we do it for biblical reasons, not constitutional reasons, not cultural reasons, not personal ideological reasons. We need to have good biblical foundations for what God wants. That's what we need to keep in mind. So why does Paul write about civil government? Why? Well, there's four probable good reasons why Paul seems to shift gears so rapidly and so dramatically that we can explain. And here's a couple of them. One, in Romans, Paul seems to anticipate being misunderstood. When he writes, he knows he's, re he's reaching out to people that aren't going to be able to dialogue with him. So he's imagining, what are they going to think of that? And are they going to misunderstand how it applies? And so, for instance, there's an example going back to chapter 12, verse 2, where Paul wrote, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't do it. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, which is sort of an external coercive pressure but be transformed, a wholly different word, led by the Holy Spirit of God inside us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, they're, they're thinking, well, if I'm not supposed to conform with the world, then I shouldn't pay taxes. Did you ever wonder why taxes shows up here? What an odd thing to include. Pay your taxes. Such a practical thing to say. He could have said lots of different things, but apparently that was an issue, and we'll look a little bit more about that. So he doesn't want them to think that if they don't conform with the world, that means they're not having anything to do with it. He says, you're in it, you've got to live with it, you've got to honor it, but don't give up your godliness, right? And then we don't take personal revenge, so we're reminded that the government has the responsibility to ensure our health and safety and well-being. There are avengers. Without the government restraining evil, I think we don't need many examples of that. We've seen it on the news where a lot of the government structures have been dismantled. People are not following the law. 
and what do we see as a consequence? I don't even have to, to give examples. If you've seen the news, you've seen some consequences of that very thought. God establishes, the third one is God establishes every civil authority. So submitting to the government is submitting to God. That doesn't mean the government is God, and the government cannot say, thus saith the Lord, and make up stuff. That's not what Paul says. They're accountable to God. But God establishing governments means that when we honor the government, we're honoring God. That's our focus. Verses 1c and 2a. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. So you can see the mindset is to ask ourselves, what is God up to? God is at work. So the government is God's servant and not the other way around. I still think when the government says, God bless America, I think we should turn it around, don't you? Shouldn't we say, may we bless God? That's what I think we should do. I think it's a bit of the wrong way around. I get it. I understand it. I'm a veteran. I love my country. It's all great. But think about it. God is supreme and on top. The government serves the Lord. Should. And that's how the hierarchy should be. First Peter tells us, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, for God's sake, to every authority instituted among men. I went down to the DMV the other day to get my little, little uh, license stuff figured out. And I have nightmares about the DMV. How about you? You know, long lines, slow processes. I think the movie with the sloth did a lot of good. The last, I made an appointment and I was in and out in 10 minutes. Blew my mind. Talk about efficient and friendly and warm and, and positive. That was the first yippy-skippy moment. My mom, my mom went down and got her uh, uh, little blue tag for the rearview mirror to park in the disability parking. She was in and out in almost five minutes. They put her to the head of the class. Isn't that great? So I honored them and thanked them. I said, this is really pleasant. <laughs> Thank you. This has been, you've done a great job. The Bible says that's what we should do, is to recognize the good that they do and the experiences that we can have and, and give them some thanks and appreciation for it. Um, I'm sure they all appreciate that. But we do it for the Lord's sake, first and foremost. Not the government's sake, but for the Lord's sake. And what it also means for us is that God's ethics for us as believers supersede anything the government might come up with. If they tell us to reject Jesus Christ, we have to reject that. If it tells us to sin wantonly and, and requiring us to sin, then we have to say, no, we cannot do that. It's God first and foremost. But the basic piece here is that since God establishes governments who should submit to God, then we, in honoring our government, honor God. That's what Paul's saying. Paul also knew that his letter would probably end up in the officials' hands. They're snoopers. They're, they've got spies. They're probably infiltrating the church. They're wanting to make sure that there's no insurrection talk going on, that they're not going to try and overthrow the Roman government or not pay their taxes or get out of it. So when Paul writes this, he's writing knowing that this will probably be beyond the church, and after all, it made it into our Bible, so you know it circulated, and that maybe even Caesar himself would get the message that, A, we're not out to get him, and B, he's still accountable to God. All of that could be inherent in this piece in the book of Romans. So that's, I think, 
reasonable expectations or understandings of why did Paul bother to shift gears so dramatically and jump into a topic that as Americans we get a little nervous about and we don't really care to talk about it, right? We've had too many inflammatory moments or too many rough moments or too many uh, moments, but Paul says we got to go there because it's God that really is at the top of his thoughts and ours, and we need to keep it that way. So secondly then, let's look at the details. He starts off by telling us God establishes every civil authority, every single one. Not just some, but all. There is no authority, none, except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, without exception, what he's saying is every single form of authority out there, God knows who's in charge, and God has moved history, moved moments, moved epochs, because God, I think, thinks in big sweeping ways as well, to get God's will done. And sometimes we might scratch our heads and say, I don't know what God could possibly be thinking or doing through all of this, but Paul says we've got to trust the Lord's will and work that somehow, through some means, through people and through changing institutions and whatnot, God's will is being done, and the coming of Christ is tantamount in all of those considerations. God is moving history through whatever means God's choosing. Daniel 2.21 says this, He changes times and seasons, God does. He sets up kings and deposes them. Good or evil, horrible, the worst of the worst, or the best that we can imagine, God knows what's going on. And God's got his thumb on the pulse, the finger on the pulse. The biblical example, too, of evil leaders, do you think that Paul was ignorant? Do you think that Paul thought that the Caesar in Rome was a nice guy who really did nice things, who had the best interests at heart for the slaves, for the low-class people, for the Christian and Jewish communities? History tells us that Paul knew very well that this was a difficult leader to fall under all of the Roman emperors had issues. Some were worse than others, but none of them were perfectly good, and none of them were believers in Jesus Christ, not for 300 years. You look at examples of evil leaders that God knew would rise up. Jeroboam, a very evil king in north Israel after Solomon had died, he reigned for 22 years, 1 Kings 12:15. So the king did not listen to the people. For this turn of events was from whom? The Lord. He didn't know it, but God did to fulfill the word of the Lord. God had a bigger purpose and a plan in mind. Nebuchadnezzar was a very evil king in Babylon. He's the one that destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the first temple. Jeremiah 27, 6 says, Now I will hand all your countries over to my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Who handed over Israel to Babylon? Was it the might of Babylon, the superpower of its day? Or does God say, I'm in charge? God says, I'm in charge. I've got bigger plans. Pontius Pilate, the one who tried Jesus and condemned him to crucifixion, 
Jesus has an encounter with him, and Pilate said, Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Don't you realize who I am? Basically, I'm the government. I can do whatever I want. I've got authority here. Jesus' response is perfectly in line with what Paul is saying. You have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. It's so interesting that in the Tetrarchy, when Herod the Great died, his four sons inherited four parts of the kingdom. And, and Rome controlled that. They weren't autonomous. They didn't decide for themselves. Roman, Roman authorities appointed them. One of them turned out to be a lousy ruler that got sideways with Rome, and he was removed. Because now there's only three out of the four kings, or not kings, but three descendants of Herod the Great left, these tetrarchs, Rome installed their own leader to control that part of Israel, which included Jerusalem, and that led to the presence of Pontius Pilate. When that happened, the only means of crucifixion, or the only means of death in that area for executing anybody was crucifixion, not stoning. What does Isaiah say? He was pierced, stripes, and all that. All the prophecies pointed out to a crucifixion, not death by stoning. And so you see how God moved history, pulled one out, put one in, and the law changed in that region, and the law required crucifixion as a means of death by the order of the Roman government. And that's how Jesus died. Isn't that fascinating? I find that fascinating. God moved. Now, was Pontius Pilate a nice guy? No, he was terrible. He couldn't stand the Jews. He inflamed them. He irritated them. He was always sideways with them. If he could put a stick in their eye, he would. He was there to make money, get money, get rich, get out. That was his entire motivation. But God's at work. And sometimes we can forget that God is at work. So in any civil government that anybody has to deal with around the world, we can trust that God has raised them up and God is going to take them down as God chooses, regardless of how it's going. In North Korea, for instance, every Christian that's that's known is imprisoned, along with their children, down to babies. And they're left in heavy labor for the rest of their lives, however short that might be. To be a Christian in North Korea is extremely dangerous, but there are still believers who will not give up on Jesus regardless of the cost. What do they know? They know that God is the master king. That's what they know. In sub-Saharan Africa, it's really bad right now for Christians but yet we don't hear much about it. But in those areas, they're hanging on to their faith because God's in charge. Circumstances might be awful, but God is God, Lord of lords and King of kings. So if we disobey any government and it's not sideways with God and we're disobedient and we're cantankerous, we're just doing it out of our own selfish interests, our own ideological ideas, God says your conscience should bother you. There's something inside of us that says, I know that this is wrong, but that should be a troubling spot in our lives, even if we don't like them. That's not our role. God's justice is at work, and we don't want to ruin our Christian witness. The people that you may find yourself upset with and and sideways with in roles of authority need Jesus too, right? And isn't our primary purpose to be witnesses for Jesus Christ, 
we don't want to turn them away from God. We want to bring them to God. We're praying for our leaders. Why? If they don't know Jesus, we pray they will. We pray that God's will will be done even if they don't know it. God's at work, and we trust him. And in this world that lies ahead of us in 2024, we don't know what government changes will happen. We don't know what laws will be passed. We don't know what wars will be fought or what the outcomes will be. But we do know that God is in charge. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and there's a bigger purpose at work, and Christ is coming. We've got to live into it. So Paul's third, third point in your outline, Paul's point then is this. Submit to governing authorities. Submit to government authorities. He starts off, everyone, not just Americans, not just North Koreans, not just Russians, Chinese, Taiwanese, Iranians, Africans, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. He leaves no room for that, except for everyone, everyone. And that's the standard that God expects. Titus 3.1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Now, good is an interesting word. We don't do good because the government says it's good. People say lots of things are good, but they're not, right? The good that the Bible talks about is God's good. That's the good that we do. So when somebody says, this is good, this is what society needs, this is what we think we should do, but it's not God's good, then it's not good. So when Paul writes, or when Titus is, Paul writes in Titus, remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. He's saying be ready to do whatever God says is good. That's the renewed mind that Paul writes about in chapter 12 living in step with the Holy Spirit. And that is a very big challenge because we're very cultural. We're like fish in a tank. We swim in those waters. There's filth in the water. <laughs> it's dirty. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Sometimes the fish bite on each other. Sometimes they go belly up. But you know what? It's very difficult, isn't it, as an American in this culture to be separated enough in our minds to think Clearly, what is God doing? How does God want things done? That's a challenge for all of us. But remind the people to be subject, but also remind the people, do what is good. And that would be what? God's good. Millions of Christians throughout history have, even, have always struggled with this. I thought about some of the things, you know, the church history tells us through word of mouth, that all the disciples were executed for following Jesus, except John, and he was exiled by the government to the island of Patmos, right? And he died of an old age, but everybody else, they lost their lives. Early Christians in Rome faced major persecutions from time to time. They were denied business opportunities. They were denied status in society. They were prohibited at times from even worshiping. They were attacked by mobs sometimes, persecuted, tortured, and killed with the government's approval. Sometimes the government even ordered it. They were arrested and given two choices. You either deny Jesus 
or you get executed. Which would you prefer? And many of our ancestors chose to be thrown to the lions or crucified, or they were sewn into animal skins and thrown to the dogs, the wild dogs. Some were smeared with tar, crucified on crucifixes, and lit on fire for nighttime chariot races. Nero did that. And in fact, that actually led to Nero's downfall. Do you know that? It was so upsetting for the general population. They weren't Christian-friendly, but it was so ugly and so heinous and so awful beyond, beyond imagination that after that happened, society turned on him. And Nero committed suicide. Do you know why? Because they were going to crucify him. But you can't crucify a Roman citizen, you can only crucify a slave or a non-citizen. They were going to demote Nero from emperor down to slave and kill him, crucify him. And he killed himself first. Was God at work through all of that? Well, we have to say yes. How do we understand it? I'm not sure we can. But we do know that God's at work. Near the end of World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great man of faith, well, he was killed by the Nazis at the end of World War II, hung for his faith. My translator in Poland, under the Soviet regime, was also told to do something he could not do as a believer in Christ. It was immoral, it was a sin, and he says, you know, I can't do it, I'm a believer in Christ. And they threw him in prison, and he had a wife and kids. And he told me the story in his kitchen, eating spaghetti with his wife and kids. And he held on to Jesus, and he didn't know what the outcome would be, and they threatened him with his very life. But then the Soviet Union fell, perestroika came in, and he was liberated from prison. How did God work? God did work. He could have lost his life. There may not have been a change, but there was, and I'm grateful to God because then he ended up being translator for me for the messages that I gave that week in Poland. He's a great guy. Um, I met, I think, in my mind, a real hero of the faith. He's a great guy. Missionaries, too, we know, have been removed from certain parts of the world by an antagonistic government that's atheist or whatever, and they don't want anything else taught. And so we see them shifted around. It's very difficult to get visas sometimes or stay and to do your good work. In 2023, according to Open Doors, 360 million Christians worldwide suffered high levels of persecution or discrimination. In 30 years, severe persecution in 40 countries. Uh, 30 years ago, there was persecution in 40 countries. Now there's persecution in 76 countries. So it's getting worse. 5,621 documented murders of believers worldwide so far. And just last week, as I said, 100 to 200 Nigerian Christians were slaughtered, and it turns out it was probably over farming and cattle and all kinds of stuff, but the perpetrators from the north were militant Islamists, and Christian community paid a heavy price that, that day. So what does it mean when Paul says in 12, have a renewed mind, don't conform to the world, but be transformed? Let the Holy Spirit lead us and guide us and transform our thoughts and our hearts and our attitudes. 1 Peter 2.17 we're going to have reverence for God, no matter where we live. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. In other words, obey God. That's what fear God means. Do God's will. Obey God above all others. Don't fear the government. Fear God. And then honor the king. All of it's there. 
love your brothers and sisters in Christ, fear God. Now be careful when we think about obeying God that we're not just being American Christians or constitutional Christians. We're going to be biblical Christians. We want to know biblically what our role is in this world so that we can share Christ with others. Paul is really concerned about our humility and reliance on him, the Lord, not just our civil rights. The ultimate value isn't being treated fairly by the government, is it? That's not what Paul says. The ultimate value is honoring God, obeying God above all things. And renew our minds. We should read the Gospels. If we haven't in a long time, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You get to know Jesus better, what he said, what he did. That's very instrumental in our own lives. As Paul said in verses 3 and 4, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right. If you do right by God, there should be no terror in your heart, no matter what the government does, actually. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and he will commend you. Now, that's how it should be. For he is God's servant to do you good. They are accountable to God. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he who does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. In other words, the government should restrain evil and avenge us when we are hurt, when there's been criminal activity against us. Now, we know that this side of heaven, there is no perfect authority aside from Jesus. This side of heaven, all our sinners fallen short of the glory of God. We will not find an official who's got it all together all the time. They're going to mess up. Stuff happens. Power can corrupt. All kinds of things can take place. Maybe they're very ungodly. Maybe there's a lot of evil at work in their heart. Selfish interests. I don't know. But we need to pray. We need to pray for them. Pray for their salvation. Pray that they do God's will, God's way, and that even if they don't know it, God's will is still going to succeed and work. And I know that will happen. But when we pray, we're not making God move, and we're not making them submit. What we're doing is we're saying, God, I'm watching, and I will honor you and glorify your name no matter what takes place, because you are God, and you know what's going on. And that's something we can keep in mind. And we also need to pray that we continue to have the liberties we have to share Jesus. That's a diminishing commodity worldwide. I still remember one Nigerian woman years ago, she says, you know what's wrong with you American Christians? You don't have enough persecution. And I thought at the time, ooh, no, don't say that. Nobody wants that. But what she meant was, you take it for granted. You are so easy about Jesus, you just roll over and play dead. In their country, if you want to be a believer, you better be one. They are not allowed to gather for worship, so what do they do? They celebrate a birthday party every week. Somebody's got to have a birthday somewhere in the world. They'll get together every week and say it's a birthday party, and in the birthday party, they're celebrating Jesus Christ. You've got to do what you've got to do when the circumstances are, are that negative and that oppositional, right? But as a Christian, you stand up and you do what's good. You do what's right, and that is God's good and God's right, and that is a very renewing of the mind thought, that we will not submit to anything but the will of God. And the government also should avenge us. If we can't do the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, the government should. And it hurts me when I hear people letting people out, you know, they've been 
arrested 17 times and they're set free and they murder somebody. The government, according to Scripture, and I'm not going to get political here. Don't, don't go there. I'm trying to give us a biblical perspective, okay? The government has the responsibility to protect its citizens and to avenge those who have been hurt. That's their job. Otherwise, you have a whole bunch of vigilantes running around taking care of business on their own. That The design of God is sometimes we're too emotional for that. Sometimes we're too close to that, that we will exceed the boundaries of what is truly good. And so let's let somebody with objectivity and the authority handle those things. And that's how it's supposed to be. Now, I know that there's a movement as well to say, let's have less government. In fact, no government at all, some people imagine, is the way to go. But can you imagine calling 911 and nobody answers? That'd be fun. That'd be horrible. What if there were no police? What if there were no firemen? What if there were no working sewers? What if there was no running water? What if there was no justice? What if criminals went totally unpunished? No victim was ever avenged. What kind of world would we have? When I was in college, how many of you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs? It's a pyramid, right? And at the base, you've got all the basic needs of humanity. Now, Maslow's an interesting guy. I was taught this in school as a matter of fact, as a, as a sort of a principle for life. Maslow was an atheist. He didn't believe in God at all. And Maslow did no research at all when he came up with his pyramid. None. And at the very top of his pyramid, he put self-actualization. He had no examples, and he couldn't even explain what it meant. But I think what he intended to say was, when you reach the zenith or the pinnacle of your human nature, when you are free and liberated to be you and to do what you want, and your truth is your truth, as the saying goes, then you are free to do whatever is inside. Just let it all hang out. Now, if every human being let it all hang out freely, without any reservations or restrictions, what kind of world would we have? If humanity is basically good, then maybe there's a chance. But what does the Bible say? There is nobody perfectly good. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. So if we all let it all hang out, what's going to hang out? What comes out of the heart? Out of the heart comes, I'll just generalize it and say sin. We can do good things, but we all of us, myself included, we all fall short. Uh, Maslow I think, did us a tremendous disfavor by putting that at the top with no evidence, no research, and didn't realize that out of the heart of the liberated, self-actualized individual comes a lot of darkness. we got to be careful. 2 Thessalonians 2.7, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. Either that is an angel or the Holy Spirit or the government. All we know is God is restraining evil to its nth degree. And until the end, when God decides, that restraint will be there. But when that restraint is lifted, all hell will break loose and Christ will come. 
This is what the Bible says. So God has placed good and evil government leaders with intentions for our good overall, the big picture. We may lose our lives, but the government cannot kill our soul or steal our hope and Christ's love from us. We must trust God. We have to leave room for God's vengeance. We know that any government on earth has no power over God, but God lifts them up or drops them back. In America, we vote, and in America, we're called to pray as we all believers are around the world and trust God, no matter what the outcomes are, that God has got this. In 2024, I suspect there's going to be tremendous events. Aren't there always? See, that's a pretty safe thing to say, isn't it? God is at work, and we have to trust the Lord with the year that lies ahead. So, our actions and our attitudes don't depend upon the government, whether we like it or not. Our actions and our attitudes are patterned on Jesus. Jesus, first and foremost. We don't worship and obey our Constitution more than we obey God and worship Him alone. We do not pledge allegiance to the state. Our allegiance is first and foremost to God, and then, as citizens of the country, yes, we can pledge our allegiance, but under God. We submit to governing authorities for the Lord's sake and for the Lord's sake alone. It's good. God has done good things, and we can be his people. I'm really glad that I live in the country I live in. I am so grateful I was born here. I, I could have been born anywhere. And you ever thought about that? What would it be like to be born in Gaza or what would it be like to be born in some other countries around the world right now? It's tragic. It's really, really hard. But I'm so grateful that we still have the liberties to worship Christ and to come together in fellowship like this, that the year that lies ahead, we know that there will be challenges, but at the same time, do we go forward knowing that God has got this and that our attitude can be the attitude of Jesus? See, I have to watch my attitude. I think Jenny and I are very careful about this. We suspect the older we get, the grumpier we get. Have you seen old people being grumpy? Young people. Well, I'm telling you what, you will soon join us as the years go by because you will see more stuff that bothers you and annoys you and gets under your skin and, and lights a fire, so to speak, and, and it's hard not to get grouchy. And we all have opinions and we all have feelings and those feelings are real and they, they can really get us sometimes. Like, ah, I can't believe it. But... What then does a renewed mind do? Okay, I'm going to go back and think. What does that person that I'm grumpy with really need right now? If they don't know Jesus, they need salvation. That is my primary concern. The second concern then is that they do God's will, even if they don't know it. What do we say in the Lord's Prayer? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That also intersects with society. And then I also want to pray for our continued liberties, that we have the freedom to share Jesus and to worship. That is a treasure that we take for granted, and we want to take it seriously. So, fourth, give what authorities require. And again, under God. Six and seven, this is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. 
If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. At the time, the Jewish community thought the tax collectors were the worst of the worst. There wasn't a Jew working for the IRS then. Know what I mean? They felt that that was like the enemy. Not only did they take what Caesar wanted, but the tax collectors often took what they wanted in addition to what Caesar wanted. And there was a lot of graft and a lot of evil and a lot of corruption going on. And they were looked down on very poorly. And so the church in Rome had this Jewish Christian community in it with all of that historical stuff attached to them. And the Gentiles, hearing what Paul said about don't conform to the world, they might have thought, okay, I'm not going to give the government one dime. I'm going to go off the grid. They'll never know. We'll barter. We'll do whatever we can. Avoid paying taxes, whatever means possible. But Paul would say several things. One, because God has lifted them up and brought down those that God no longer chooses to have in power. God's at work. God's in charge then we need to support what God is doing. Sometimes we have to hold our nose, but we're going to do it for God's sake, right? So here's what we do. Therefore, he says, pay taxes. Pay taxes. Direct payments like income and property taxes. I don't like my property taxes, but I pay my property taxes. I don't like to pay taxes, taxes, you know. The, for one thing, I can't figure out Oregon forms very much. I always have to go to a tax guy and say, you figure it out. I'm dual status. You don't even know what that means. I'm the only one here that's dual status, I think, which means that I have to pay the full amount of Social Security, all of it, and, and I'm considered an independent uh, contractor or independent authority on that, and yet I'm an employee of the church for federal income taxes. It's a dual status. It's a mind blower, and I never know how to work it. So I just shove it on their end, and they fill it out, and I'm supposed to look at it, and I don't. I just go, yeah, yeah, okay, fine, sign the form, here you go. If I get in trouble later on, I'll go back to them and say, what did you do? And they'll say, well, it's your responsibility, not ours. Well, when in Washington, you didn't have that mess with the you know, Oregon tax and the federal tax. and eh. It's difficult, but I still pay it. And I don't want to get in arrears. In fact, the other day I went to the tax guy and I said, are you sure about this, that I'm supposed to pay X, Y, Z? And the guy came back, yes. Okay. Sometimes it's good news. Most of the time it's not good news. But that's just stuff, right? Look at what taxes are about when Jesus was talking. Taxes are an old issue, right? Mark 12. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians, the sort of every man's religious leader in cahoots with the government, uh, well, not authorities, the Herodians were enthusiasts for secular Greek culture and government, to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, you, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And that's what we all want to do. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? This is an age-old question, isn't it? Jesus said, bring me a denarius, that's a little coin, and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is this? There was a figurehead on there of Caesar. And whose inscription? 
Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. What he's really saying is, Caesar has done a census. Remember when Mary and Joseph had to go to, to Bethlehem and the census was going on? That was all based on taxes. They wanted to know how much taxes they could receive. So, okay, that's the underlying piece. Now they say, should we pay our taxes? In other words, are you in agreement with Caesar? Are you on Caesar's side? Do you like what Caesar's doing? Or are you in rebellion? And what Jesus says is, look, if Caesar wants to print a coin and let you use it, and he wants it back, then fine. He can have the coin. But who owns the coin? Who is Caesar responsible to? Whose image do you have on you? The coin has the image of Caesar, but who made you in his image? God did. Give yourself to God. And if Caesar wants a coin, let him have it, because it all belongs to God anyway. God's in charge. Jesus is answering the same way Paul does. Pay your taxes. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and give to God's what's God's. And next Sunday, I'm going to talk about giving uh, in that very sense of we give ourselves first to the Lord. Everything else is just stuff. What's most important is what's God's, and that's us. Therefore, pay revenue, he says. Now, some people don't know the difference between uh, revenue and taxes and that sort of thing, but it's talking about sales tax and customs fees and that sort of thing. If you owe something, then pay it. Don't try and dodge it. Therefore, he says, also give respect. You know, God put him there. Okay, fine. I go to the DMV. I, I have to believe that the authorities behind the counter. God knows everyone by name. He knows all the hair on their head or not. And these are the people that are serving their customers, and I, I had to give them a compliment because they've done better than I've ever seen them do it before. They've really, really shaped it up, and I'm so grateful for the good that came out of that. But there are other things, too. Um, one time I was driving a little bit too fast in Montana, and a police officer pulled me over. I hadn't been pulled over in like 40 years. I mean, I was a teenage nut when I last got, I guess I was longer than 40 years. 45 years, 46 years, 47. We won't count, will we? Anyway, I hadn't even had a parking ticket. And uh, I was going eight over. I'd been on the road forever driving to Helena, and my rear end was getting sore, and I only had so far to go, and it was a backcountry road. And he, he radared me head on, as they are wont to do. And I just pulled right over, and I treated him really nice. I was very friendly, very kind. And, you know, he came back and very professionally says, I'll just give you a warning. You don't need to worry about it. It's not going to go to your insurance company or anything. Just slow it down and take your time, and you'll be all right. And I wished him a good day, and he wished me a good day. And I almost wrote him a letter and said, that was the most wonderfully professional moment I've ever experienced in my life. <laughs> but I submitted to the authority. If you wanted to give me a ticket, well, there you go. And he didn't. It was his choice, and I was grateful. We can have the right attitude of Jesus. I shouldn't have been going that rate, but I, next time I'm never driving the whole thing in one go. I just can't do it. I'm going to stop in Spokane or something. But this is a case where you give respect. You give respect. You don't make it worse. So pray for them, obey the laws, and do the good that God says is good. Don't do the evil. And if the government ever says we should do evil and not good, then we have to stand up and say, my God will not let me do that. Like the friend of mine in Poland who translated for me, paid a big cost, didn't know what the results would be, but he honored God above all.
So we want to respect the government. We want to be polite. We want to pray for them. But we also know that God comes first. And then, therefore, honor. Honor the office. Pay them what their wages would require. Give them recognition and thanks for any good that they do. And again, pray, pray, pray. How many of us have been praying for our government leaders on a very regular basis? That is so good. How many of us wished we would, because we know we should, right? That's another bunch, and myself sometimes included. I want to add that to my list of priorities, because it's so important that it's done for the Lord's sake. God's at work. I want to recognize it. I want to give God the glory for it all. I want those in authority over me to do what God says is good. And I want to thank God for all the good that God will do. Even in the worst regime, God will build up or take down any country and any authority God chooses anywhere in the world. We can trust him. Our brothers and sisters living in tremendously difficult circumstances are believers and not just because the government's nice, but because God is great. God is king. God is Lord. And God has saved them. And God has saved us. In the year that lies ahead, I, I see all kinds of predictions, economic predictions, predictions about Taiwan, what might happen in Ukraine, what the consequences might be. But you know, the news never, ever brings God into it. And that's our job. Our responsibility is to have renewed minds, keep our eyes on Jesus, keep our priorities straight, do what's good and right, pray for those in authority over us, show them respect and honor, pay them what they're due, live under, well, I like to say hold your nose at times because it stinks sometimes, but you got to trust that the Lord God Almighty has got this. So who's in charge of 2024? God's in charge. Absolutely. Through all circumstances, all forms of government, all situations, all calamities and traumas and events and worldwide weather changes and whatever, wherever else, God is our leading Lord, Savior, and King. I am really excited about next year, not because the news gives me that enthusiasm. God does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that we are your sons and daughters, that we are part of your big family around the world, and we thank you that you are our dad. You're our Abba. We have such an intimacy with you through what the Spirit brings into our hearts. We thank you so very much that Jesus Christ has come to be known to us as Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords, our Savior, forgiven we are in Christ, raised up to eternal life, guaranteed. And Lord, we know that Jesus said in this world, yes, we're going to have trouble, but Lord, we need to take heart. Take heart, not in circumstances, but take heart, because you tell us you've overcome it. So God, we look forward to the year that lies ahead and give you thanks for the year we've had. We're looking forward to what you do, exciting things, wonderful things, good things, righteousness, all that, the gospel. Oh, it's exciting. The, the future lies ahead of all of us, Lord God, by your grace. May each day unfold that we will not forget to pray, that we will be responsible 
that we will do what is good and right, that we will be careful to be biblical people and not people of culture or constitution or form of government or whatever, but we're thankful that we are where we are, very thankful, and thankful, Father, for this nation. We're grateful for our neighbors. We thank you, God, for your hand at work in North Korea and Nigeria and Iran and China and so many other places. We pray that the cause of Christ will be heard, declared, received, and believed. We pray for our missionaries who are on the edges of societies that are really antagonistic to Christ. We pray, God, for their safety and well-being and encouragement, especially as the winter closes in in our areas. We thank you, Lord. We pray your blessings on them and ask your favor upon us all, that all that we are and all that we do would honor you. We trust you above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. And by the way, there's still the Christmas offering ongoing. Uh, If you want to give to the Christmas offering, the amount will be tidied up sometime mid-January, I assume, and all the domestic and international missionaries will get a portion of that. So if you want to put something designated for a Christmas offering in the box or bring it to the office or online, you're welcome to do that. God bless you. And I want to thank all of you for pitching in. Jenny didn't know she couldn't be here till like yesterday, and you, you just jumped right in, and I am so grateful for the team that you are. Thank you so much. Let's stand. Your grace will never
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And may that wonderful love of our Father and the sacrificial grace of Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Forevermore, that's guaranteed by God. And all of God's people could say, Amen. God bless you, and I know that the year ahead is awesome because God is great. God bless you. Have a great week. Come on down to the fellowship hall. Have some fun. I'm going to go home and take a nap. Thank <laughs> you.